the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Reaching Your Heart. Welcome. Today's broadcast is entitled Forensic Righteousness. We'll bring that to you in two parts, and we hope that you enjoy it. Remember, as we continue with this broadcast, we'll have the conclusion for you tomorrow, but you can always go online at reachingyourheart.com. You'll find this broadcast under the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Stay tuned for just a few seconds after the message. I have some other important information to pass along to you. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentanko, with Forensic Righteousness. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father, as we bow our heads today, we seek a righteousness that does not have one thread of human devising in it. One in which we cannot boast about how good we are. One which lays us in the dust so that Christ can be exalted as Lord. And one which causes us to worship you because we love you rather than to run from you and to act like we're religious because we're afraid. We want the right kind of religion. So help us as we focus on forensic righteousness, what it means to be forgiven in a legal kind of way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have a dog named Smokey. I've talked about Smokey before, right? He's not Avalanche, but Smokey. Avalanche is past. He, I believe, will arise in the resurrection of the just. And he'll be ready for the second coming of Christ along with my relatives who love the Lord because I think the Lord died for animals too in this sense that Psalms 36.6 says God saves man and beast. So I'm not going to restrict my theology to say that God can't love my pets that have fallen asleep. And if I'm wrong, I'll have to be corrected when the Lord comes. That's just what I believe. Now, we have a dog named Smokey. And I've been telling people that he's half Siberian Husky and half Blue Healer, which is a sheepdog kind of mix with a Siberian Husky. Now, I've seen his mother. She's a beautiful Siberian Husky. She's nice. And the man who gave us the dog in Tennessee probably didn't know who Smokey's father really was. He's a nice man, too. But recently, we have come to know that Smokey's father is not nice. That's true. It seems that Smokey's mother used to run in the wild with coyotes. And some of his kinfolk on the wild side of things, well, they look just like Smokey. My son came back from Tennessee a few weeks ago and he said, Dad, I figured it out. I have the great Eureka here. Dad, Smokey is not Blue Heeler. I said, what do you mean he's not Blue Heeler? He said, Dad, Smokey is half coyote. No doubt about it. When you look at the pictures on the internet of a Siberian Husky mix with a coyote, it looks like Smokey. Now, I saw a coyote here at the property that we worship at one day go out and kill a cat. Just ran and boom, got the cat. And I thought to myself, after we got Smokey, he looks a lot like that animal. Now I know why he looks like a coyote, because he's half coyote. Now, my son likes the idea of owning a dog that is half coyote. 
something mysterious about it. You know, you own this animal that should be out there, but he's in the house and he's got the wild look in his eye. A Smokey is a different kind of dog. If he weren't a member of the family, he probably would not be alive today. That's a fact. We adopted him because his owner was intimating that if he couldn't find a home for him, he might end up having to shoot him or something like that. In Tennessee, coyotes have a bounty on their head in certain counties, and it was true in this county. All you have to do is shoot a coyote, cut its ear off, give proof that you killed the coyote, and they give you a reward. Coyotes in the county where Smokey was born have no right to live, no legal right to live. But Smokey's a half-breed, and so the law is fuzzy in his case. Smokey has a few flaws, but mostly virtues. He's a loving dog, and that's a big virtue. Is that not a big virtue, yes or no? He just loves us. But one of his big flaws is that he loves my shoes. He has this incessant and obsessive desire to eat my shoes. Now, I can't tell you how many shoes I have lost to Smokey, but he has mutilated them and devoured them right there on the living room floor. Now, I don't buy new shoes anymore. I go to the thrift store because Smokey quickly makes mincemeat out of them if he wants to. You know, it's been a long time since I lost a pair of shoes to Smokey, but this week I lost my best pair of shoes to Smokey. The night before, I was on the carpet. I was relaxing. Smokey came up and he kind of put himself down there. And he started looking at my shoes and licking his chops. And I knew what was going on. Those were my favorite pair of shoes. And he was just looking at them. Next to me, looking at my shoes. And I saw him there breaking the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. So I turned to him and I said, Smokey, you better not mess with my shoes again. And I said it with authority. Why do I do that? Because dogs have this hierarchy thing. If you're not the alpha male, the dog will be the alpha male, especially if it has wolf in it or coyote. And so I had to be the alpha guy in the house. I said, Smokey, I'm in charge of this place. Lay off of my shoes. These are my good shoes. It's against the law of this house to mess with my shoes. Now, he's a smart dog. For some reason, he has a very high IQ. He can understand specific language. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking, yeah, I get it, but wait and see. Now, he knew that it's a law in my house that he is to stay away from my shoes. The next day, I had a long, hard day at work. Someone opened the door to my room where my shoes were. And I came to the house after being on the road all day. And when I came in, I noticed that a little debris field of mutilated clothing and plastic parts scattered on the living room floor. Smokey had been going through the house looking for things to chew. And then I noticed one of my nice leather shoes in the middle of the pile. It was a statement that Smokey was making. It was the shoe that Smokey was coveting that night. The one that I laid down the law, leave it alone, Smokey. And when I looked, the shoe was fine. I was relieved. It's all there. It's not eating the shreds. It's just laying on the pile. But as I picked it up and looked inside the shoe, the sole had been eaten out of it. Boy. I turned to Smokey and he knew what I was thinking as he cowered down on the floor. I said, Smokey, you have broken the law. Thou shalt not take my shoe. And he knew it, but you know what? He has a nature that makes him prone to do it again, again, and again. And this is a cycle that may never end in our house. Smokey's a member of the family. And we have to work with his flaws at times. Now, when Smokey breaks the law, he has committed a forensic crime. 
The word forensic in the English language is a word that relates to something that is referred to or used in a court of law. When we speak of forensic righteousness, we are talking about a righteousness that can pass the scrutiny of the judgment day because it will work in God's court of law. The judgment is a legal process in the Bible. There is a throne room. There are books that are opened. And for you to get through the judgment, you have to have a forensic answer to the forensic problem of sin. In the apostolic gospel, friend, God has provided a righteousness that will pass the scrutiny of the judgment day for you because God's righteousness is a legal righteousness. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor Mike. I mean, you're talking about a legal righteousness. That sounds like legalism. Before we begin to study, we should guard against the notion that a legal righteousness is somehow legalism. When a man or woman gets married, is it a good thing to get married legally? Yes or no? I mean, how many of you want a marriage that's not legal? Don't raise any hands. Bad idea. I mean, marriage is about love and commitment and all that kind of thing. But if you're not legally married, you don't have a moral right to experience that interaction. Marriage is all about love, but it has to be legal love to be the right kind of love. Legalism, in contrast, is the idea that somehow you can do enough good in your life legally to merit God's favor in your life. You can obey enough to where it will compensate for the bad, or you can do enough good for a long enough time that God will accept you. In legalism, the law becomes a method for salvation, not a moral standard. Now, the law is always a moral standard for the Christian, but when it becomes a method for salvation, you're almost certain to be lost if you continue down that road. As soon as you try to make the law into a method to be saved, you are without a doubt, from God's perspective, lost. Why? Because no one has ever kept the law of God good enough to merit salvation. Did you hear me? No one has ever kept the law well enough, as far as God is concerned, that it has merit so that it will pass the forensic test of the judgment day. No one but one person. That person is Jesus. Friend, Jesus had a perfect faith and a perfect obedience in His life. And Jesus deserves to live forever. Legally, He has a right to live forever. But we're not like Jesus in this one way. We're not good enough to make it to God's kingdom by trying to be good. And so if the law becomes a method for securing salvation, you are condemned in the journey before you start the journey to be saved. Something else has to step in to produce a different kind of righteousness than the righteousness that comes from trying hard. And this righteousness that God gives us, that is God's righteousness, is a forensic righteousness. It meets the legal demands of the law, but it is not from us, it's from God. It's a gift that in the judgment day you can stand before God and you can stand without fear that somehow you slipped into heaven and you got there because God played tricks with the law. No, it's a legal righteousness. The Apostle Paul proclaimed that he died to the law as a method for salvation so he could live for Jesus Christ and receive this kind of righteousness. You see, if you keep the law good enough to be saved... If you could just do it, if you could just keep the law perfectly enough to be saved, then Christ didn't need to die for you. Did you hear me? Because your obedience would have been good enough. He wouldn't have had to atone for anything you did. The fact that Christ died for you is proof that you aren't good enough to be saved by your own efforts. 
Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, now come on. How can you say that? Well, I can say it because I know it to be true for my own life. I don't have a perfect track record in my life. Do you? Okay, and I know as I live the Christian life that I struggle at times. And there are times when my attitude has to be laid at the foot of the cross. Does that happen to you? Okay, you know, the people that make me nervous are the ones who look like they're perfect and they're nothing but a whitewashed sepulcher. Friend, we live in the real world of trying to know God, of experiencing His grace and having to do so knowing that we have limitations that are based on our own faults of character and our own background at times. And so I know I need a right now kind of righteousness that comes from God that can stand against the kind that I would have if I were to make it on my own. So in Galatians 2.19, notice what Paul says. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Friend, the righteousness needed for the judgment day cannot be produced by simply trying hard. You cannot become good enough for God to accept you. You cannot keep enough of the law to atone for the law you broke. You cannot make your past perfect by becoming perfect in the present. Why? Because the law will not allow you to mess up one time. If you mess up one time, the holy law of God condemns you. Because the law is the law. And so if the law is the method for salvation, then you have to be perfect all the time from the cradle to the grave. And no one has pulled that off but Jesus. If you blow it once in life, if you're seeking a righteousness that way, You're headed straight for the lake of fire and the judgment day because the law will not change to save you. So if you rely on the law as the method for salvation, friend, you're under a curse, the Bible says, because the law cannot produce a righteousness that is legal enough to atone for the broken law. In this sense, the law is not your friend. Now, I believe in the law of God. Are you listening to me? But in this sense, the law is not your friend. Because we are sinners, the law stands over us without a righteousness that can solve this forensic problem. The power of sin to destroy, in a sense, is the power of the law. And Paul states that clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that if you mess up one time in life, the law is no longer your friend. If you don't have a perfect life in which you never break the law, you cannot be saved if you rely on the law for righteousness. Why? Because you are not righteous and the law cannot change the law to save you and to make you righteous. The law is the law. You break it and you're done. Friend, Jesus' death is proof that God could not change His holy law to save one single person. He couldn't do it. Galatians 3.11 continues. Now it is evident that no man is justified before God by the law. For he who through faith is righteous shall live. 
The word justification here is a legal term in Paul's writings. And the righteousness that overcomes the hurdle of a broken law is acquired in this verse by faith. It is received when you have faith in God and it is given to you as a gift. It means to be legally acquitted of guilt, to be declared righteous. In fact, this word in Paul's writings never means to be made righteous. Now, God can make us righteous. Don't misunderstand me. But when applied correctly in the writings of Paul, it means that God can declare us righteous in a legal kind of way. And that is called justification by faith. Paul continues in verses 12 and 13. But the law does not rest on faith, for he who does them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree. The very first time a man believed God in the Bible is the very first time God justified a man in the Bible by faith. It's prophetic. The Bible says he believed, and the Lord says he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Just like that, it's Abraham, Genesis 15, 6. He believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's a forensic kind of righteousness. That's a declared righteousness. That's a righteousness that God declares even if you're growing in life. And how do we know that's the case with Abraham? Because in the very next chapter, he messes up with Hagar. God's righteousness, God's declaration of righteousness precedes his bumpy life here. It's given when he believes the Lord. In Galatians 3.10, Paul says that a righteousness that depends on the law as a method to be saved, has a curse attached to it because no one can be saved that way. But the righteousness that depends on faith in Jesus Christ as a gift, God reckons that righteousness. He thinks that righteousness. He imputes that righteousness. He legally accounts that person as righteous by His grace, by His power, and He has a legally sound way to do it. It is a right now righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day. Friend, let us not forget that the law has a useful function to bring us to Christ. Now, I am not an antinomian. I do not believe that the law was nailed to the cross at all. The Bible does not teach this. The law of God is a perpetual moral standard. The final issues of the end in the book of Revelation will be over the holy moral law of God. So let us not forget that the law has a useful function to bring us to Christ. Every Christian should keep all ten of the Ten Commandments. Revelation 3.19. Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, as I said, I believe in the law of God. I do not believe that the law was nailed to the cross. That's a misunderstanding in Colossians 2. Paul says that the commandment is holy, just, and good. If you're a preacher in this country and you teach others that God's law has been done away with, it's bad theology. God's law can never be done away with. If it was nailed to the cross, then there was no need for Christ to die because He died because the law had been broken. Paul's statement here in Romans 3.19 would be false if that were the case. So I believe in the whole law of God. I keep the seventh day Sabbath of the fourth commandment just as it is written in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. The seventh day Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It's an amazing thing in the Christian world today. 
that so many Christians can come to believe that God would willfully set aside a part of His law that brought Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. It's an amazing idea. I believe that all Ten Commandments are a transcript of the character of God, His very name, and they can never be altered. But having said that, friend, the law is not a method for salvation. It cannot save you. It is just there. It is what it is. But it has no ability to produce a righteousness for someone who has broken the law. The law condemns the whole world because we have all broken the law. So in this sense, the law brings us to Jesus. The law teaches us that we need a Savior from sin, that we cannot atone for what we have done, that we cannot stand before God in the rags of our own attempted righteousness. Paul says the whole world is accountable to God and that no human being will be justified by works of law. And that is not to attack the law. That is to understand the fact that the law is not our Savior. And you cannot rely on the law as the method for you to be saved. In verse 20, the law's function in salvation is clearly defined by the Apostle Paul. Paul says that the law brings the knowledge of sin. If you don't know you need a Savior because you don't think you're a sinner, then you'll never come to Jesus. So we need the law of God. We need it to instruct us as to what is morally sound and to help us feel our need for a Savior. God's righteousness is a legal righteousness that does not set aside His law. And God's righteousness, as I said, is forensic because it meets the requirement of the law for a perfect life and a perfect faith in God in life that is obedient. The law requires this. And God's righteousness does not set aside the law as a moral standard in your life. And so God didn't just do away with the fourth commandment of the cross or any of the other commandments. God's righteousness upholds the law as a moral standard, but it provides a legal righteousness for the sinner who has failed to keep it perfectly. So how does God give us a righteousness that is forensic and legal without the law being a method for salvation in our lives? Turn to Romans 3.21. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And here is the righteousness that works for the judgment day. So you want to zero in on verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What does it say? For all who believe. Three statements are made in this verse. Number one, the righteousness is of God. In other words, it is God's way for making men and women righteous for the judgment day. It's not human righteousness. It's not your way. It's not your best effort to make up for the bad. It is His righteousness, and it works when works won't work for righteousness. Number two, God's righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the object for faith. It's not produced by making the law into a method for salvation. It is not produced because you're good enough or because you do enough good works. It is yours because you have faith in Jesus' righteousness as your righteousness. And you look to the cross and you look to the resurrection and you accept that God has a substitute for you in life. Point number three, it is for all who believe. There's a whole lot said here in this statement by Paul. Any man or woman who believes in Jesus is a saint. Any man or woman who has the worst kind of background and that person lays their life at the cross of Christ, that person is declared to be a member of the family of God. And God will receive such a person and give them perfect righteousness as a gift 
legally applied to them. And the opposite is true as well. Whoever refuses to believe in Jesus, that person will not receive his righteousness. There's a theory going on out there called the moral influence theory. You ever heard of it? Some of you have. Some of you haven't. It's the idea that Jesus died only to reveal the love of God. Now, it's true in what it affirms, but it's absolutely an error in what it denies. Because our problem in the judgment day is not just a need to know that God loves us. Our problem is legal. The law of sin and death would keep us in the grave if Christ did not take that legal barrier out of the way. God would have to explain to Lucifer why he let us off the hook and he didn't let him and his fallen angels off the hook. There's a law in the universe. God has to interact with his own moral law. And so God has found a way to save the sinner by being true to his law, to reveal his love, true, he does so, but to also deal with our legal need to know that we can stand before God righteous. So in John 3.16, that famous verse, what does it say? For God so loved the world. I mean, that's a revelation. But how did He love it? That He gave His only begotten Son. If Christ did not need to die for our sins because the law was broken, then that would not be a revelation of the love of God. Because Christ had to die. Because there was no other way to save us. God's gift in Jesus is a revelation of God's love. Thanks for tuning in today to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko presented the first portion of a message he entitled Forensic Righteousness. Now, we'll finish this broadcast tomorrow. We hope that you'll join us. Again, the broadcast name is Forensic Righteousness. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.